welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Hello, hello. Are we on there? There we go. Thank you so much, worship team. Let's give a hand for the worship team. Excellent job. Excellent, excellent job. And uh, half of the hard work is just clearing the stage after you're finished. So they're doing a tireless job making sure it's all clear there. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, Peter, as well. Oh, we're okay. Oh, yes. And Marco, thank you so much for serving in that way, coming and do the announcements. Um, Mar- Marco's a faithful brother, being able to do that, you know, Sunday after Sunday and just bring the humor and just be himself up here. So we really appreciate him for that. Um, everybody, let's, let's just stop for a second and pray and just acknowledge the Lord with us before we jump into this text. And I'm trusting the Lord has a special message for us this morning. Let's pray. So, so today, um, we have so many things to either worry about, be thankful for, um, maybe even come to you in distress about. And so we're all carrying something when we come to you today, Jesus. Um, but you know what we're carrying. I think the, it's on us now to be able to give you, to give over to you whatever we're bringing to the service. Even things that we're delighting in that, we're, that, that are maybe even idols to us, that, we are, that are life to us, whereas you want to be our life. So even those things, we just hand it to you this morning and trust you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want you to think about an impossible situation in your life. Those of us who are online and who are joining us here today, um, I want you to think about right now an impossible situation in your life. Could be in the past, could be right now in the present. For those of us who are here at the school, here at Heritage right now, I want you to think about an, an impossible situation in your life. Might be present, uh, might be past. And when I say impossible situation, I say a situation where you are at your end in your ability to deal with the situation. You are at your end, or have been at your end in your ability to deal with a particular situation. Talking about something that's impossible in your life. All of us can think of at least maybe one time where you, you, were, you were limited by your finite human mind about what the outcome will be, or even limited in even discerning how a positive outcome could come out of that situation. All of us have been there, and if you haven't, you will, but we're gonna be talking about someone who knows the before and the after of that subject matter, and his name is Jesus, because Jesus wants to reveal himself in the impossible. Jesus wants to reveal himself in the impossible of your life and through the impossible in your life. So you might be in it in the moment and he's in it with you. 
And as you journey with him through the impossible situations in your life, he's also journeying with you. So he's in and through. He wants to reveal himself in the midst of that. Because the greatest goal of Jesus coming to earth wasn't necessarily that everything would work well for us. Right? I mean, unless you have a different Christianity than I have, I want in on that. If everything works out well for you, right? I mean, that is not what we were promised. The greatest goal of Jesus coming to earth was that we would know him. That we would know him and thus know the Father through him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we might have everything go well for us. So that we might have more money in our bank accounts. So that our children who are not following Jesus would start following Jesus. So that the sickness in our bodies would go away. It's not there. So that we would know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ, and he is the true God and eternal life. That we would know what it's like to be in intimate relationship with God. We are in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father, and we are so safe and so known by him. And we have the pleasure of this short time that we are alive on this earth to get to know that kind of love, to get to know that kind of care, to get to know a God who wants to be known and loves us. You see, the main goal of this existence is not, again, everything working out okay, and we were not promised good times for a short time. We were instead promised a short time of hard times, right? In comparison to eternity, it's a short time of hard times in comparison to what we'll experience now, 1 John 16, verse 33 says this, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Oh, sorry, wrong verse, sorry. I have the wrong one. I was trying to read the wrong one there. And I don't have it written down, so I know what it is a little bit off by heart. But Jesus said that in this world, listen, you can have peace of mind because in this world, there's going to be troubles, but I have overcome the, the world. I've overcome the world. So in this world, you will have trouble. That's what he was promised. Therefore, it is difficult for us to endure the impossible situations in our lives for a short time. So then again, if it's only a short time of hard times, how are we going to make it through the short time until we get to the end? Well, there's lots of things you could do. You could do self-care, right? Self-care is an option. Uh, What are some other things you do? Breathing exercises, yoga, woodworking. Anybody else woodworking? I mean, you can get right into sports, man. You can escape with video games. Let me tell you, video games, now they have virtual reality, all kinds of things you can do to just escape the short time. I'm not slandering any of these things necessarily. Because all of those things are good because God's created everything and and, and it's all good. I mean, many things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. But all these things apart from Jesus. All these things apart from that is not life. Matter of fact, he himself is life. He is the one who wants us to come to him so that we can endure this time, this period, this short time that we have on this earth. He's the one who wants to give us the ability to make it through to the end. See, we need a greater revelation, not necessarily of everything going well in our lives, or the future working out. We just need a greater revelation of Jesus and his power. We need to get to know his ability to care for us, 
to protect us, to love us, to make us feel known and understood. We also need an understanding of his miracle working power and his power to provide. We need a greater revelation. Now I can tell you, okay? I can tell you that skydiving is awesome, okay? No, I can tell you skydiving is awesome. Listen, I, I might have used this before as an analogy, but the, un, the unfortunate part is I think the only reason why I ended up going skydiving is just so I could use this as an analogy biblically, because there's so many things you could do with it. But I'm sorry if you've heard this from me before, but I had an opportunity to go skydiving as part of a bachelor party, and, and I could tell you that it's awesome. I could sell it to you. Listen, when you get up there, when you get up there, man, here I am, I'm strapped to somebody, tandem with another skydiver. Guy's like, ready, we're gonna jump. Three, two, one, we're jumping out. Ready? And the three, two, one comes. Now, here's the thing, I have the option. (laughs) I have the option to be like, I'm out. We're not doing this. I have the option, let me tell you, I have the option. But for me to take the risk and the gamble of jumping out that airplane, trusting this guy behind me to do the job, to make sure that I get there safely, get to the ground safely. Listen, it took guts. The guts. Now I have all of your respect. Yes. That's all I'm living for. Now, I, and, and, and here's the next thing you're jumping and you're out there and you're falling and it is silent. I just want to sell it to you. I just want to sell skydiving to you for a second. It is silent. When the parachute opens, you don't hear a thing. Nothing. It is so quiet. It was what's up there? Nothing. It was the most peaceful moment, one of the most peaceful moments I'd ever experienced in my whole life. The only time I got scared is when I could see the top of the trees. <laughs> right? And the distance between, I'm sorry if I've given this analogy before, some of you, but you see the top of the trees and you can see the distance between the top of the trees and the ground. That's when I got scared. But it's too late. <laughs> You're laughing, but it's the truth. It's too late. Because I'm, I'm already committed. Listen, I'm trusting this guy to bring me down safely. Yeah, you know, I could sell skydiving to you. And maybe some of you are like, okay, maybe I'll try it for that reason. But let me sell Jesus to you instead. Because we're going to be looking at a passage where somebody stepped out on a limb and said, do whatever this man Jesus tells you to do. Trust him. It's a risk. But do whatever this man Jesus tells you to do. You know why? Because the end result has far greater benefits than the terror you are experiencing or the the anxiety that you're experiencing in the impossible situation you are currently in. You could trust this man, but there's a risk. I want to sell Jesus to you, and I'm not capable of doing it. The Holy Spirit has to open your heart to say, whatever you are going through in this moment, whatever you are facing, whatever impossible situation you are in, you... I can't persuade you to, I can't make you do it, but I want to encourage you to say, if you say yes to whatever he tells you to do in that impossible situation, the benefits, the long-term benefits of trusting him is better. It's better than the momentary troubles you are experiencing right now. See, we all have impossible situations in our lives that need Jesus' transforming power, but when we trust Jesus is in the room, when we trust that he has the power to make something out of nothing, when we trust that he is a God who serves, a God who came to serve, not to serve. Sorry, not to be served, but a God who came to serve. 
He will reveal himself to be everything we need in every moment. And then we can live out what 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 said. That we can fulfill our existence here. The reason why Jesus came, that we would know him, but know him experientially. I could talk to you about skydiving, and you can have an idea up here mentally about what skydiving is, but you don't know it like I know it. I don't know your impossible situation. I don't know it the way you know it. I might have heard about people going through that stuff, but I don't know it the way you know it. Jesus says, I want you to experience me. I want you to experience me in this moment, in this impossible situation. I want you to experience my love, my care, my ability to protect you, my ability to provide for you, my ability to make myself known to your family members, to your co-workers, to your extended family who do not know me. But we have to be willing to trust him and listen. And just like we're going to learn about today, do whatever he tells you. Um, we're looking at John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. It's a, it's a wedding at Cana. And I'm going to read it to you. Okay? I'm going to read um, the first few verses. John chapter 2, verse 1 says this, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Why are you laughing? They're, that's what the Bible says. Is this a place of joy or something? Okay. And Jesus said to her, Woman. It's really just the way I said it. What does this have to do with me? My hour hasn't yet to come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. On the third day, sorry, that's the last verse. We're going to read now. He said, do whatever he tells you. You know the story, what kind of happens here. We're talking about Jesus transforming water into wine. He takes an impossible situation and he makes the impossible happen in it. I mean, that's the, that's the God we serve. He's in an impossible situation. You are in an impossible situation. He'll take that, and he'll do something impossible with it to make himself known, to earn your trust, to prove himself worthy of your trust. Now, on the third day, let you know that this is a course of action from previous chapters. See, John is telling the story of a very specific period of time, which most commentators would agree is sort of the first week of Jesus' ministry. So starting with Jesus' baptism, by John, and then traveling now about three days' journey from where John was baptizing. It's about a three days' journey to Cana and Galilee. So he says in three days now, this is about the extent of time that has kind of passed, and a lot of commentators say, well, guess what? At the end of probably at this, this uh, ministry week, we've come to this wedding. So it's something to kind of look forward to. Anybody here recently been part of a wedding? Yeah? yeah. There you guys over there. You guys just got married, which is great. It's a lot of work, eh? It's a lot of work. And there's a lot of anxieties and a lot of things to plan for and, and then lots to celebrate too, but it takes a lot out of you. I, I, I'd be honest about that, right? It takes a lot out of you. Well, weddings back in this day in the Near East were generally seven-day periods. Generally, seven-day periods. You would have a seven-day celebration where you would invite your family 
and your extended family and your village to your wedding. And you would provide food and drink for the whole village. So this was like, a, a, like a, a, if somebody had a wedding, it was like it's time to stop and like have a festival. The whole place would stop. Now Cana is a small, kind of insignificant village in, in, in Galilee. And so we're not imagining huge numbers, but this is, this is a large amount of people. And this is a very, very important note here because what we've seen, if you look at the first few chapters, the first few verses there, sorry, chapter one, but the first few verses there up to chapter two, is that we're building, John is building a narrative about the disciples. So Andrew has now come on board, Peter's come on board, Philip's come on board, we have a little story about Nathaniel, Nathaniel's now on board, and what we're seeing now is that Jesus and his mother and the disciples are now all invited to this wedding. So, so many things have built up into this point. And what John wants to do is that he wants to demonstrate now what he does right through the whole gospel. He demonstrates what it's like to be in Jesus' inner circle. What's it like to be somebody who walks closely with him? What were the things that the disciples saw up close? What are the things that they experienced up close? This whole passage starts with the disciples. We're going to see it ends with the disciples. So John's trying to show something very, very intimate about what it is to follow Jesus. Now let's step into this narrative together, okay? This wedding celebration is already on the go. We know that because by the time we get to about the fourth verse, we realize there is no wine, right? So this party's been going, maybe it's three days in, I don't know. How many days in are they, do they have now no wine? There's nothing else to drink. So this is a really big deal in the Near Eastern culture, okay? If you don't mind me saying, it's a pretty big deal because usually the bridegroom's family would do all the preparing of the food. They would bring all that food together. They would bring all that preparation. It was sort of like a gift to the village if you did that. And some commentators would actually argue that there was legal action. Legal action could have been taken against the bridegroom's family for not fully providing. So not only was it an embarrassing moment, but you could also actually have financial costs from not fully providing for this. So this is a pretty intense, maybe impossible situation. So these guys are stuck. There's no more wine. And here enters the mother of Jesus. Now, we are not sure if she's seen any previous miracles of Jesus up until this point, or if she was even aware of, at this point, what happened at Jesus' baptism. None of that is revealed to what we know, but what we do know is that at the wedding, she knew who was in the room. At this wedding, she knew who was in the room. Maybe not everybody else, but Mary knew that there was somebody in the room who can do the impossible with the impossible. So with the little bit of faith that she had, she told her son, there is no wine. There's no wine. Now, she has every reason to say this, right? I mean, the angel visited. She had a baby when she was a virgin. She hadn't been with a man. Um, Elizabeth had visits from angels. Joseph had dreams. She's seen all these things. They left Jesus at the temple, and they went back, and he found him, and he said, no, I'm here doing my father's business. She has all these reasons to trust him, all these reasons in her life that God had shown her that there was a reason to trust that this Jesus indeed was the Son of God. And so she's just acting on it. 
So she says, there's no wine, and what does Jesus say to her? Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now let's not get mad at Jesus, okay? This is not very PC what he said, right? Right, because the Greek word he's using here is gune, which is another way of almost saying, it's almost a dignified way of saying kind of lady or madam. Some of you ladies might have trouble with madam as well. But this is sort of a dignified way of addressing her. But it's important that he's doing this because now he's separating the fact that this is no longer a mother-son relationship. My ministry time is starting. He is now revealing himself to be Mary's Lord, Mary's Savior, Mary's life. He's stepping away from that. He's coming out from under that now. And he's at, and, and he says, like, this is, the hour has not, has not come yet. When John says the hour, he's going to use multiple times in the gospel. He's, Jesus is always describing the fact that he is going to, the, the hour is actually describing his death and resurrection. So even in this moment, he's telling her, listen, the big reveal is not yet. The big reveal is coming, but it's not yet. So wait. How many of us have experienced times in our lives where <clears throat> we've seen God show up We've seen God show up. We've seen God do the impossible. We might have that faith enough to say, God, there's no wine. Or, God, I have no friends. God, there's no money in the bank account. God, my business is suffering. We're not not even asking, just telling him, Jesus, my children don't follow you, and and, and, and and they dishonor me by their behavior. And you just come, and you're just saying it. Because you have enough faith to say, I, I, I know that you can do something. And how many times has he said, wait? Oh, nobody likes that. Wait. Time hasn't come yet. Here's the thing. I don't know if maybe Mary just kind of caught on. Or, but the fact is that Jesus had a plan. The Father had a plan from the very beginning to do something special at this wedding to reveal Jesus as the Son of God so that the disciples would get to know him and, then, and, the, and the worth and the value of them knowing that he was the Son of God in this moment is yet to come. But the Father told Jesus, there's something up. And maybe Mary just kind of caught on, you know, but she walks away from that situation with that weight, still trusting. And she goes to the servants the servants of this party, not to the master of the, of the feast. She goes to the servants, she says, do whatever he tells you. Sometimes we have Marys in our life. Some people who've experienced what it's been like to journey with Jesus. Some people who have experienced that and know what that's like and have come alongside us and said, don't worry, just continue to trust. Whatever Jesus tells you to do in this moment, just, just hold on to it. And some of us have been our own Marys. We've had to do that ourselves. And that's always challenging, isn't it? To go off on our own that way. But here, this is one, something, this is one thing that's very important for us to understand. Is that Mary had a little bit of faith to know that Jesus could do the impossible with the impossible. Why? Because Jesus lives in the impossible. I mean, something is only possible if we can actually discern it, right? With our human minds. But our minds are finite. Right? Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 to 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, so are my ways higher than yours, and, my, and so are my thoughts. My thoughts are higher than yours. So maybe you are here, and you're going to step into the unknown. You're going to step from here into an impossible situation. 
could be at work, could be with friends, could be something in your body. You're going to step out of here into an impossible situation. You don't know what's going to happen next. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 to 4 says this, and it's very important for us. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ is your life appears, you will then appear with him in glory. See, we could be nervous about stepping out of that plane. We could be afraid of what that's going to be like to trust him. But here's the thing. We're already committed. We're already committed. When you chose to follow Jesus, what happened? When you chose to follow Jesus, the essence of your existence, the foundation of your existence, existence which is your spirit, died with Christ. The essence of your experience died with him. It, 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 it's gone. The part of you that was disconnected from God that could never pick up God's 5G signal, that could never pick up his LTE signal, could never pick up his data, that part of you that was disconnected from God died. It's removed. It was not capable of following Jesus. But when Jesus was risen on the third day, when he was resurrected, you were resurrected now with a new spirit. And so a new spirit came to life inside of you, and that spirit is connected to God, always connected to him. And so you're committed. You're fully attached. You're fallen. You're fallen. There's the top of the trees. There's the top of the trees. Oh, yeah, you could have got out when you were in the plane, but no, you're out. Coming down. You may not like or know what the outcome's going to be, but self-protection is a facade. Self-protection is a facade. You might be afraid of stepping out of here into something impossible. Listen, you might be right to fear. I don't know what you're experiencing, but self-protection is a facade. You abandon your plans, your purposes, your protection, your provision for his plan, his purposes, his provision, and his protection. He's going to land you. He's going to bring you down. He's, he's, he's good. He knows where the landing spot is. He's going to do it. You can trust him to do it. It may not turn out the way you want. Matter of fact, when I came down, actually back to skydiving, when I came down, my, my feet hit the ground, but then my butt did right afterwards. Pow! Oh! We had a good laugh about it, but it hurt. Okay? You don't know the outcome, but you're committed. See, self-protection is a facade. We can leave that aside, and we can trust him. Maybe you've had little pictures of how he could be faithful. Maybe you've had little pictures of things that he's done in other people's lives where, you've, where he's earned your trust. And you can hold on to those little pictures as you go into something scary. You know, we always have those anxious alarm bells of anxiety in our minds warning us about fear ahead. You know, your emotions are there for a reason, but sometimes they don't serve us well. They don't tell us what the truth is. Instead, we need to trust what we've known and seen of him, what he says in his word. And if he tells you, if, he t- if, if, if you are in the moment of something impossible, you can present yourself just like Mary did. You can present the situation. I am in an impossible situation, Jesus. But the next part is to listen to him and then do whatever he tells you. Whatever that next step is, whatever, whatever you're afraid of doing, just just. Just trust him with that next step. Let him impact you with that. You don't need to know the full outcome. He just wants you to trust for right now. Trust for right now. Trust for today, right? 
that's something we could step out in and experience and know. And the thing is that when we're able to do that, he is able to reveal himself over time to be faithful, to be the one we can put our trust in, the one who uh, can make something out of nothing. We're going to look at that right now. So let's look at John chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Now each of them are holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And Jesus said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. So let's stop here for a second. Okay, so it said 30 gallons. Okay, so one gallon is almost four liters. Okay, so that's, so that's uh, how many is that? So one gallon is almost four liters. Okay, so that's, uh, let's see, let's say it's uh, 120 liters, did I say? Oh my goodness. Okay, well, well, let's stick with this, let's stick with this. Either way, it's a lot. I was trying to measure it up with like, like, like pop bottles, like two liter pop bottles. Right? So, that's, a, so that's, that's quite a large amount of wine, right? This is a huge amount. And don't trust me to do math, right? I went to Bible college, <laughs> right? Trust what the Word of God says. It's a lot of wine. When you look back at the amount of wine that was actually, that actually could have been done, and we don't know if Jesus turned all the vats, because all it says is that this service actually poured it out and gave it to the master of the feast, and we're going to look at that very shortly. So we don't know if it was just what came out and what was given to the Master of Feast was wine, but just knowing what the situation is and that there was no wine and that it was a miracle to have made wine, it's most likely that there was a lot of wine made and more than enough wine to supply that wedding and more than enough wine to maybe supply the next little bit. And, who, and you know the thing about wine is that it ages well. And this is not only just kind of human, like wine that somebody made, this is God-ordained, created wine. So this had the opportunity to supply this family, the bridegroom's family, for the wedding and afterwards. It, it, is, it, is, it is a demonstration of abundance. Now there is so much symbolism in these three verses that I could talk about for an additional 30 minutes, right? So there's symbolisms about the new covenant, right? About how the importance of marriage to the narrative of God and, and his family and what's gonna to happen to us. There's so much to talk about that. The significance of wine and grapes and how it's important to the people of Israel. We could talk about all of that, but let's just focus simply on what has happened. Jesus made an impossible situation possible. Impossible in the sense that we're not talking about multiplication. This is a greater miracle than fishes and loaves, right? Because fishes and loaves, there was something to start with, right? Jesus was just manipulating the elements because he's the Lord of the elements. He just manipulated elements. He just created more bread and, and more fish. This is about walking on water, right? What was he doing? He was manipulating the elements. He could walk upon the water because he's the Lord of the water. There was zero money in the bank account. There was zero opportunity for wine. There was only water. Jesus changed something, one substance, into a a holy other substance. When I say holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. A completely other substance. He transformed it. This is, who we're, this is the God we're talking about. We're, we're talking about a God who did ex nihilo, which is basically the Latin term for out of nothing. And it's so important that John says in John chapter one, 
that Jesus was there in the beginning. Right? This is what we read. This is what you would read right before you read this part. That Jesus was there in the beginning with God. And what did he do with there in the beginning? He spoke and then life happened. In the vapor of his breath, planets formed. Out of nothing. This is the God we're dealing with. He lives in the impossible. You might be in the impossible right now. You might be experiencing something impossible. He is the God of the impossible. He's right there in that moment. You might be afraid to step into something scary tomorrow, or even in a few minutes, or even even later on today. He's going to meet you right there. Because he's the God of the impossible. He'll bring something out of nothing. We're not talking, we're talking about multiplication. We're talking about a God who is able to make something out of nothing. And so when we are now facing, we're stopping and looking at our situation, and saying, how am I going to face this? Listen, this is the Jesus that we're dealing with. And here's the thing. We have to choose to walk by faith. We have to, we have to choose now to activate the faith that we have based on the trust that he's earned in our lives. You know, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 says this, and the righteous shall live by faith. Who are the righteous? You guys are. You guys are the righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And what do the righteous do? They live by faith. They step out into the unknown, into the impossible, and, and they trust in Jesus. So therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, Colossians 2, chapter 6, verse says. You are already in the plane. You're already there. You could tap out. You could, but you might miss out on something. You might miss out on the opportunity to get to know him in a new way to get to know his faithfulness in a new way, to get to know his faithfulness in a new way that may not benefit you in the moment, but it might benefit your children. You might be able to step out in faith in a new way that may not have um, the outcome that you want in the next few weeks, but over time, it will be an example to those who are looking in on your life. And God will make himself known through what you're going through. We're here for a short time of hard times, but God wants to reveal himself in the impossible. He wants to reveal himself to do the impossible through the impossible that you're experiencing. So let's keep on reading here. So John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11 says this. This is verse 9. So when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So this master of the feast is a pretty big role, okay? So if you're having a seven-day kind of party, and, and you're the bridegroom's family, or you're even the couple who's there getting married, listen or you've just been married, you need a welcome wagon, right? You need a Janice, you need a Greg, you need some folks who are going to be taking care of that party because, man, there's lots going on around you, lots being provided for, lots of people to provide for. Um, and the role of that master of the feast, that role is to be the kind of the head servant. 
So you were taking care of all this so that the families and the friends who were there can just celebrate. Uh, that Greek word for that, for that term is archetriklinos, archetriklinos, which means basically arch is that prefix and means first. It means the first steward or the head steward, the head manager. So basically the head manager of the first servant. And guess what happens? Jesus quietly usurps the head servant. He quietly usurps even the bridegroom's family. He demonstrates himself to be a God who serves. He did not come to be served, but a God who serves. He's making a huge claim with this. Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 26 to 28, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember, the disciples are in on this. They're observing all of this. They're in the inner circle. He's making a very important public example to them of what his ministry for the next three years is going to look like and what the end result's going to be. He's bringing them in close to see this. He's going to make himself known as the God who serves and wants to serve. Now, some of us here have head managers, right? Bosses. You might have head stewards that you're under, people who are, who are, uh, who are leaders and so they're there to serve you so you can do your job properly or do your business properly. Some of us are head managers. Some of us are head servants. Um, some of us are, are the top leaders. And we might be concerned about providing for our people. And we might be concerned about whether or not we're able to do it and do it well and do it in a God-honoring way. Some of us are under bosses that we're like, man, they, they do not take care of me and I don't know what tomorrow's gonna be like and I'm concerned about my job and I'm concerned about those who I work under and they, they dishonor me by what they do and you might be upset about that. But listen, who are you under? First and foremost, you're under the God who serves and Jesus wants to reach out in whatever situation that we're in, whether you are the boss or not, whether you're, whether you're the supervisor or, or, or whether you're, you're just another employee, God has a concern for you. And he knows you, he knows what your needs are. And you can trust him with tomorrow and whatever is on your heart. You trust him to provide. And we see this right here in this moment. That Jesus goes above and beyond. And so we see the, now the head servant go to the bridegroom. He goes to the bridegroom and he's like, well, basically, how dare you embarrass yourself and me? How dare you? Don't go embarrass yourself and me by doing this. Because basically at this point, how much, like, if there's no more wine, that means that whatever good wine that they probably had has been drank, and all the poor wine they've had has probably been drank. Now, there's no more wine left. So how dare you now, the headmaster says to the bridegroom, how dare you bring out the best stuff? That doesn't make any sense. And I think it's a great picture to us of just kind of the things that we are looking at in the world and the world is looking at that are just lacking. Because we can all pursue good wealth, we can all pursue great cars, we can all pursue more cool tools, more cool uh, toys, uh, we can pursue more likes on, on social media, and the whole world is drunk on these things. They've already had the first servings. 
The whole world is drunk on that, the first servings of what everybody's offering, and we can go ahead and pursue that. But we haven't been called to do that. We're under the care of the great servant. We're under the care of the good shepherd who can provide for us in everything, and even in the impossible situations he could provide for us. We're under that kind of care. I mean, all those things are good in their own way, but apart from the life that Jesus brings, apart from the provision that he brings, it's nothing. It's just lacking. But he wants to give something abundant. And what happened? Abundant provision. More than enough, not even multiplication, just more than enough provision, more than enough wine for that party and afterwards. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Even Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says this, And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Again, it's not about us getting all things that we want, but it's about a God who knows your deepest needs, who knows what you need even better than you do, and can help supply that, and can give, and that we could trust him to serve us. See, this is a very important sign as I close now. This is a really important sign for the disciples. Because they're going to now go through a journey with Jesus where they're going to experience concern and fear and doubt about the future. They're going to be in a handful of impossible situations. And so John says this very clearly. He says, this was a sign that Jesus did to manifest his glory, to manifest that he is the son of God, that he can provide. But not only that, and it says his disciples believed in him. And this word believed is in the aorist tense. It's basically a completed act, but with an undefined timeline. So they believed, but this was the beginning of their believing. They may have believed in that moment, but there's an ongoing journey of seeing Jesus at work. And all of us have been called to that. All of us have been called to that journey. You see, sometimes Jesus does the impossible in an impossible situation just to gain our trust so that we face hardship in the future um, in his plan that might be even different than ours. And we can just trust him in that moment to journey with us in what's impossible and through it as well. So some of you here are in the plane. You're about to jump. Some of you guys have already jumped. You're not sure what the end is going to be like. Some of you are, in, are landing in an impossible situation. You know, maybe I'm going, to get, maybe I'm, going to get to the, I'm going to get to the ground and everything's going to be okay. Either way where we are in this journey of trusting him, we just need to make sure that as we're doing that, that we're able to pause whatever we're facing, whatever we're nervous about, and trust what he says. Turn our hearts towards him. Present ourselves, whatever is, is scary to us, whatever is unnerving to us, we can present it to him and we can trust what he says because he is faithful to bring us home safely. Um, let's just take this time right now to just pray. I think we'll just close now. Let's take this time right now just to pray and remember the faithfulness of the Lord with us before we go. So Jesus, this is, this is everything that we know with our minds, but we need to now experience you know, with our souls, with our emotions, uh, with our will, with our, with our bodies even. We, we, we now, even not just with our thinking, 
we now are maybe stepping into situations where we're coming to know you with everything that we have in us. We're even presenting the anxiety in our bodies and how anxiety is, is hurting our bodies. We might even be experiencing that now as we're stepping into something new or something unknown. But Jesus, I pray that you would remind, to our, remind our hearts and Holy Spirit, you would inspire our hearts to put our trust in Jesus. And I pray you would inspire us to say yes to whatever uh, Jesus is telling us to do in that scenario, knowing that the end result um, has a great, way greater outcome, way greater benefit than what we can see at the moment. And so encourage us, inspire us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.